0: Jeff always says that the sermon starts uh, with the worship already long before he or anyone else gets up here, and with Jen's little pep talk she gave, they pretty much summed up my whole sermon. So there's really no need to go through it, and about half the Bible. That was <laughs> no, awesome. So we're gonna we're gonna start off this morning with a fun little exercise. As you can see, our sermon's called The Clear Path. And uh, we're going to jump into a a verse that's very well known by all of us. But I want to really make it practical and really bring to mind the gravity of what God is saying through Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord, as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And in, with the influences that we have in through our cultural uh, settings, our homes, the country that we grow up in, all these things, um, and I'm going to show you how, how these things influence our paradigms, the lenses that we look, look out of. So before we do this exercise, I'm going to ask you guys, from this side, this row over here, this row over here, you're going to go first. This half over here, you guys are going to go second. I'm going to explain what that is now. While they're looking at the next slide, I need for you guys to keep your eyes closed. Okay? Don't open them. If you cheat, you're losing out. So go ahead, close your eyes. And only when I tell you to open them, open them. You guys, I want you to look at this first picture. Okay, really focus on that picture. Okay, Gabs, go to the next slide. Okay, so you see that. Now you guys close your eyes. All right, close your eyes. No cheating. Those of you that had your eyes closed, you can now open them. I want you to look at that picture. Intently focus on it. Okay, go to the next slide. Alrighty, the rest of you can open up your eyes I want this half over here And and do it loud Tell me, what is that picture over there? What do you see? Old lady, old woman What do you guys see? A young lady and a young woman Okay You guys, what's happening here? Are you guys not looking properly Okay so what I'm going to do is, Gabs, go to the previous picture. In fact, go to the first two so you guys can see what they saw and you guys can see what they saw. So the first picture that they looked at was that, the old lady. Okay, Go to the next slide and you can see her in there if you look carefully. Go to the next slide. They looked at that, the young lady. All right, Go to the next slide. You all looked at the exact same picture, but you saw a different picture. Okay, this is Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9, or at least starting to dig into it. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Okay, my ways are higher than your ways. God sees one picture and we see a completely different picture, and that's partly because of the flesh, the sin in our lives, and and just us being in the flesh, period, outside of him, we corrupt in our way of thinking, Uh, the countries we live in, the political, social nuances, and the families we grew up in, and and our work environments, but here's the fact of the matter, is that we are humans, and we are not God, and if we understand that we are over here in our thinking, and my arms are not long enough, neither is the sky atmosphere high enough where God is. If you understand this principle that at the outset, at the start of you looking at yourself, at you looking at God and you're looking at the Bible, you're not completely going to understand the things of God the more distant you are from God. And the more closer you start getting to Him, the more your paradigm is going to start changing. And that paradigm cannot change if you are of this world and think like this world, which we all do far more than what we actually realize. So this all culminates into how we see life, how we approach the Word of God. And uh, I believe this is absolutely necessary for us to grab hold of and uh, to look at Him through our eyes, And not with our eyes. John Stott says the following We need to repent of the haughty way in which we sometimes stand in judgment upon Scripture and must learn to sit humbly under its judgments instead. If we come to Scripture with our minds made up, expecting to hear from it only an echo of our thoughts and never the thunderclap of God's. Then, indeed, he will not speak to us, and we shall only be confirmed in our prejudices. We must allow the word of God to confront us, to disturb our security, to undermine our complacency, and to overthrow our patterns of thought and behavior. This is so profound. Um, A simple passage that really illustrates this before we climb into Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, which we're going to spend some time on, is Proverbs 4.23. And we've got the New King James up there, which I asked to be put up, but I've also got the NRV here, which says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. In the Hebrew, heart, often, more often than not, means intellect and mind. It's emotions, it's the will, it's the way you approach things, you think of things. Okay. So what he's saying is guard your heart, guard your mind okay, with how you think and so on, because everything you do flows from it. If we look at the King, New King James Version, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. What it is saying is if your paradigm is X, okay, if it's the old lady, if you do not focus on God, and it could be whichever, I'm just saying it's opposite of whatever it needs to be, and And you focusing on this, and God wants you to see this if there 's not enough close walk with God and you 're so influenced by the world and you don 't really know god you 're always going to be seeing the picture the way you see, the way you approach life, and the picture you see is how you see it and not how God sees it, and the things that are meant to grow you and challenge you and and, and be a part of your sanctification. And necessary for the nurturing of your soul Will be things that frustrate you And cause you to be conflicted Because you're seeing a different picture To what God is seeing If we look at the next slide Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 um, I want to explore this more deeply And really explore what Solomon was writing here And this morning we're all going to be Students and scholars of the Bible We're going to be tearing Proverbs 3 verse 6 apart uh, who can remember the Wednesday night group? What is that word from Psalm one for meditate? You remember it's hagah in the Jew in the, in the in the Jewish, and that is um, what it is saying. If you look at that word and what it means, it's like a lion on a bone, or and it's tearing it apart, and it's getting into the very deepest of things, and it's growling with satisfaction. Is that meditate hagah in the in the Jewish text and? uh we are going to haggah this text here this morning. We're going to really meditate on it. So the first word that I want to look at is, um, and it says, in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. The NRV, which is the one that we've been using, is trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. Because of our Western thinking, okay, and coming from South Africa, believe me, we have Western thinking, is we see this and we go a smooth, straight road, easy. That's what it means, it's easy okay, to us. We're going to tear this apart and see what it really means. So the first word I want to look at is acknowledge. And on acknowledge, you'll see... Uh, and I want you to focus on the things that have been uh, made orange. Um, to know properly, to ascertain by seeing, uh, and it's used in a great variety of senses. There's the figuratively, there's the literally, there's inferentially, including causatively instruction. Okay, and then below that, familiar friend. I've shared this with the Wednesday night group. Hebrew has between uh, biblical Hebrew has between eight and nine thousand words. Our modern day English language has over 400,000 words. So when you study the, the text and scripture, you really have to look at the context to know which of those words you need to use. Okay? And in this case, I believe the context is bringing out many of those words. Okay? So let's look at the first one, to know properly, to ascertain by seeing. You cannot know God all right, unless you are searching for him, there's an active doing word there, properly to ascertain by seeing. That is a searching, that's a seeking of him that is happening there. The next part says, including causatively instruction. Okay, let's look at that word causatively quickly. The Merriam-Webster dictionary says, being a linguistic form that indicates that the subject causes an act to be performed or a condition to come into being. All right? In this case, the subject is God, and he is causing an act to be formed or a condition to come into being. If we put it into context in terms of the acknowledging him with the properly ascertaining um, uh, by seeing, we see that this acknowledge is not our understanding of acknowledge, uh, just to be aware of something or not of the head, if, you're, if you will. This, is, this acknowledge is saying that the, the inner, most intimate parts of the core of your body, your soul, the fiber, the very thing that makes up your being, is so aware of Him... That when you become aware of Him and really who He is and who you are in relation to Him, there is causative instruction that already starts happening. What it is saying is that if I am as aware of who He is and I have a path to take, etc., And I need to know the path and I need it to be made clear to me that just by even acknowledging who God is and how great he is, there's already a causative instruction which I start receiving. He starts allowing himself to be made known more to me just by me acknowledging who he is. He makes himself more clearer to me just by acknowledging who he is and you know, but part of that could maybe be summed up with James four verse eight, draw near to God and He will draw near to you in, in that sense. If we take a look at the believers Bible commentary, what it has to say on verse six, I just love it. It says, Finally, there must be an acknowledgement of the Lordship of Christ. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Every area of our lives must be turned over to His control. We must have no will of our own, only a single pure desire to know His will and to do it. If these conditions are met, the promise is that God shall direct our paths. He may do it through the Bible, through the advice of godly Christians, through the marvelous converging of circumstances, through the inward inward peace of the Spirit, or through a combination of these. Listen to this carefully. But if we wait, he will make the guidance so clear that to refuse would be positive disobedience. And we see, as Jane said with Gideon, it's not to say that if you don't acknowledge him in the fullest, there there can be doubt sometimes, and through his grace, he still delivers, delivers us. But you are especially enabled and equipped when you really start seeking and searching for God, knowing that the very approach you have to life is very likely through your lens and not God's lens. And when you start seeking to understand who he is and how he would think about this, he enables you to really start seeing and causatively to instruct you to look through his lens. Pay attention to the third word, the familiar friend. That's so cool when I saw that, the familiar friend. This very word depicts that it is with a familiar friend. And there can be no guidance from a friend if you don't know him. Friendship, I wouldn't say it's hard work. Maybe sometimes it is, but it's easy to love that good friend. And and when you really, if you have true, you know, I've got a good friend that's actually sitting in the audience and. We have this true David-Jonathan relationship, and we share our our sins and our um, our worries and our concerns and our joys and our achievements and our accomplishments, all these things we share with each other. And when you have that relationship, there's such a unity and a bond and a love for one another because you know each other and if you can if you can leave the most sensitive things of your heart and your mind and tr- trust it to somebody else and all that comes back is love and and, uh, and you know that they love you so dearly that whatever advice they give back to you is is to protect you out of love That relationship is the same relationship that God wants for us. He wants to be that familiar friend. And if you truly understand what a familiar and a true friend is, it will bring to light God in a completely different meaning for you, if it hasn't already. To know Him, to really know Him and to hear from Him, He has to be familiar. You have to share your worries and your concerns and your hopes. And you have to speak to Him, but there's also a listening element. And there's a dependency on him. You know, last week, Drew did such an incredible job with his sermon. And he emphasized uh, Psalm 46 verse 10, which talks about uh, be still and know that I am God. And this whole thing around stillness has popped up in my life like you cannot believe recently. I have been whacked by God. I mean, he's really bringing to heart and mind this this stillness. And uh, I felt this morning because I've been so convicted, so should you. So I'm going to share it with you. But, you know, the, the areas that it's shown up, uh, the Blood Brothers Challenge that we have, and I really want to invite all of you men who, have, who have, have participated or have not to join us next year for that. But the challenge this month is one day you speak to God for 10, 15 minutes. And the next day, you listen to God for 10, 15 minutes. You just keep quiet. And for me, this is difficult. And you just listen, okay? And I'll tell you what. The first day, guys, waxed. I can speak to God for hours. You know me. I can talk the hind legs off a donkey, all right? I can go for it, man. a God, do 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 Keep quiet and be still, all right, and listen for God. And I'm telling you, the... the the home I've grown up in, my culture, etc., Everything's about me, the lens I look out of, is I want to just be sharing and telling you about myself the whole time, especially God. I want you to know about my worries and my concerns and so on. But we're not very good at listening. And uh, the, the listening, I mean, I'll tell you, that, that sitting and clearing your mind and waiting and listening for God is ninja level number five. It is the most difficult thing I've ever done. And that why it's so difficult is it's not familiar to us. It requires faith. It's difficult sitting still, not knowing when you're going to be spoken to or what's going to be spoken to you. So in our culture, in our society, we don't like, in the a, a fast-paced consumerism gives us high levels of control over virtually everything in our lives, we don't like that sitting still and waiting because it requires faith. It requires us sitting there, not knowing what we're going to hear, and and we don't have control, so we don't like that process, and it's unfamiliar to us. Fundamentally, it's not familiar to us. But as I've practiced this, guys, and I've sat there, and I've started, I've started developing. I mean, you'll know that your brain develops neural pathways, and by the way, it doesn't matter how old you are. Science has proved that ne- what's called neuroplasticity, the develop the, the, the the um, the means for your brain to develop new pathways is only about a 5% variance between an 80-year-old and a, and a 10, 15-year-old. If you apply yourself to it, you can learn it. And in the sitting still and familiarizing myself with it, in the beginning it's very strange and it's very weird, but I've learned that there's a part of my mind that I start thinking with to, to shut off, and I, it's just a posture I have, a position I have with my mind. And because it's become more and more practiced, I'm able to get there a lot quicker now. Where maybe it took 15 minutes to just get to that point, or two hours to get to that point, I'm now able to get to that point quicker. So, just some word of encouragement there and I cannot tell you how critical and needed and imperative this is for our walk with God and our relationship with God the very life source of your soul depends on it if you do not have this feeding of your soul with the life giving water that God supplies you will continuously be conflicted you will not have peace and and, you will always just be unsettled in life and we see that as the song that Anxiety falls away before the presence of God, and it's before the presence of God. All right, so we need to get that. We need to start tapping into that presence a whole lot sooner. A passage that uh, speaks to this desperate need and how it's been ordained as necessary is Lamentations three twenty-two, verse twenty-eight, and uh, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Now I can spend probably four or five sermons just on those first two verses, but it's not what we're going to focus on, however encouraging it is. Verse 24, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore I will wait for him. Okay? If you say that God is God of your life and that the Lord Jesus Christ is Lord of your life and you've said at the moment of salvation and that salvation, the gospel salvation, and you've said, Lord, I know that I am not perfect and that I'm a sinner and I truly understand what you have done on the cross and that you have died for all man's can mankind's sin. So that they can have a future and a hope in you. If you truly believe that and you truly believe that you are God and that Jesus Christ is Lord of your life, then you need to know He needs to be Lord of your life completely, wholly, fully. He needs to be Lord of your life. and. It's saying the Lord is my portion, so that whole thing that I just spoke about, therefore I will wait for Him. If you truly understand who God is and the magnitude of God and Jesus Christ are in your life, if you truly know that they have designed you on purpose for a purpose, okay, you need to know that anything you try and do is probably looking out of the wrong lens. You need to wait on Him for His guidance. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in Him, to the one who seeks Him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in Him. If you again, it goes back to if you truly believe that He is the source of your deliverance, all right, and and the means to the end that you have that your soul longs for. If you truly believe that, you'll be seeking Him. Verse twenty-six. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. That salvation is best translated or interpreted as deliverance. This is not the gospel salvation that we're talking about here. This is a deliverance of an overcoming of something. And again, it emphasizes that waiting quietly for the deliverance. We get so caught up trying to do the doing, the, you know, and you're so busy and, and you're just so. Active that you can't stop to even hear or see God in your life. And let me tell you, I say your life. <laughs> I prepared this sermon like a couple of weeks ago. And I was going to preach on the Good Shepherd. And I started diving into some scripture again um, the beginning of this last week. And I really felt the Lord moving me to really focus on Proverbs 3 verses 5 and 6. Really focus on that. So I had to change my whole sermon. And and I just felt like that needed to happen. I felt God directing me in that sense. And I was so busy. I had a couple of frustrations. Lisa was away. Our cat, Omega, was waking me up four or five times a night. And uh, it was just Satan's cat this last week. It was really terrible. (laughs) But in any case, I had like two, three hours a night and I was just shutting down, man. I, was, I just couldn't think clearly. And what that did is it caused me to start forget, stop forgetting about God. And it was like, I need his leading and his guiding. And I'm working through the scripture and so on. But I'm, I'm so busy because I'm frustrated. I want to get this thing done because I hate not being prepared. And I finished the sermon this morning eventually, okay, after tearing it through it this whole week. And I'm telling you, if I had got better at the sitting down and just knowing that I'm tired, I'm worn out, I just need to focus on him, I can feel his leading and his guiding and his directing, if I truly owned that, I truly believe the sermon would have been finished two, three days ago. Because I would have really sat still and I would have really owned what this is saying. here. And even though you can feel a guiding and a directing of God in your life, you can still not be led by him if there's too much of you in the way. I had the wrong paradigm the The deliverance over here in um, verse twenty six that salvation also depicts that this is a, it's a journey, and that to navigate the road needs your continuous seeking of the Lord to navigate and endure it. You know, and I've mentioned our uh, consumerism and and uh, the the culture that's so overwhelmed by consumerism and this. I'm in control of everything, and it's uh, need the answers right now. Give me the answers right now. Band aid, just put a band aid over, and let's keep going. The problems, you, not me. Culture that we live in, and why this deliverance is so important to me, I think, and it depicts a journey, is. If I think of our faith walk how many of us look to the leaders of the church to be responsible for the leading and the guarding of our souls okay and there's an element to that but your relationship with God hangs solely on your relationship with God individually God is going to hold you accountable for your relationship with him one day not me not Jeff and this journey, because of this quick-paced, fast consumerism uh, culture that, we, that we're living in, um, the, the prospect of walking through this journey and digging apart the Bible, etc., because we can't have all the answers right now, and we can't be of service right now, it intimidates us. Again, it's unfamiliar to us. And, and it's, it stops us from moving forward. I'm seeing this in the church. It's stopping us from moving forward. If you consider that everything in the kingdom of God is a journey and that it's a process, all right, especially in God's kingdom, sanctification, the word comes up a couple of times. If you know that and you make peace with that, all right, And even see that Jesus Christ had to endure a process of learning and development. If you don't believe me, look at Luke chapter 2. We all know the story very well. Christ goes with Mary and Joseph to to the temple for the Passover feast and the census. On their way back home, they can't find Jesus. They go back to the temple and um, they find him. And verse forty two, forty six. 46, sorry. They found him, and it says, after three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. He's sitting amongst the teachers, he's listening to them, and he's asking them questions. Fifty-two, Luke 2, 52 says, And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus Christ had to endure a process of learning and development, okay? And if you, if you're battling to wrap your mind around that, because it is a difficult thing to wrap your mind around, Jesus Christ, in human form, not knowing the answers and having to apply himself to a process of learning, okay? And then God the Son, by his very word, he sustains the universe, I think Colossians 1 verse 15 talks about, 15 to 19. His very word, he sustains the universe. How do you reconcile those two? Okay? And if you want the answer to that, you should come to the Wednesday night bubble study this week. Because we're going to be going through Christology, uh, in terms of Philippians chapter two, and I'm going to be diving through that. But but know that even Jesus Christ had to endure in his human form, the body part of him had to endure. Uh Hebrews five, I think it is, or four verses uh 11 to 15, we do not have a high priest that cannot endure with every single one of our temptations. Alright, in his human form, James 1 verse 13, God can't be tempted. How do you reconcile those two? Well, they are two different things and they are real and they are different. And you need to come Wednesday nights, if you want to understand it. So, we need to make peace with the fact that we cannot be a Jedi overnight. Alright, and we all have to start somewhere. And if you can make peace with that and own that, and that's how things were designed, if you can make peace with that, the process will not intimidate you. It will draw you in. And I really want want to encourage you to be a part of that because being present in the moment with God is enough if you really start getting that. Here's what you need to know, is that you can never have a meaningful relationship with God if you do not know Him, and you're not going to know Him very well just showing up on Sunday. You know, if you come here and you rely on me to tell you about God, I want to tell you that you don't really know Him. You have an idea of who He is, and and you can even be saved, and you can be a Christian, but you don't know Him, the friendship that we're talking about. And he's just an acquaintance to you. You know of him. But if you're relying on me to develop your relationship with God and for Jeff to do that, he's just an acquaintance. You don't know him. And when he speaks, you won't be able to hear. And when he guards, you won't be able to see. But you're looking through the wrong paradigm. And I encourage you to really dig into getting to know God and Jesus Christ. And they are real and they are lovely. And they will feed your soul. You know, in terms of this ability to know God is available to every single one of us to the same extent. We all have that, that ability. I had a cool experience three weeks ago. We had the Wednesday night Bible study here, and Kenny often sits in the back there. And uh, in in my haste of um, of the scriptures, speaking about um, context for Philippians we went through Acts 13 verse 13 and just sort of where or Acts in general how the church of Philippi started and if you want to know that story read Acts 16 but how church, how Paul did his whole journey through um, Asia Minor which is Turkey and into um, into what is now Greece and we went through that whole story and how in Acts 13:13 13, 13, it says that John Mark Basically, ditched Paul and Barnabas along the way and he, he ditched them. He, forso- he, forsaken, he had forsook them, if that's a word. And in my commentary and in my haste, I read the commentary and it spoke of John Mark and I, I interpreted it as he wrote the Gospel of John and that's what I said, teaching the guys. Kenny came up to me afterwards, he's like, hey brother, I just want to tell you that I actually think that that John Mark is Mark that wrote the gospel of Mark, not, not the, the apostle John. And I went and I researched it, and he was right. And let me tell you, it was so encouraging for me that a member of our congregation sitting there could come to me. And those are fine details, God. I mean, you need a tooth comb you have gone through the Word. You need to know the people in the Bible well. You need to know the Bible well. You need to know God well to really be able to be a Berean like that. It was so encouraging for me that one of our members in love could come to me and say, I think you made a mistake. It wasn't a theological mistake, but even if it was, I would have said, Kenny, thank you so much, and I would have told you the truth. That's my responsibility, is to tell you the truth. Forget myself. So... While is, I want that to be a source of encouragement for you, because if you take a look at, at, at Kenny, we all have that same um, opportunity, and I really believe we all have that same responsibility, is what God says. First Peter 3.15, hold sacred the things of God in your heart so that you can always be prepared to give a defense of the hope that you have. And that's what every single one of us, not the pastors and not the leaders of the church Verse 27 is talking about receiving this counsel and submitting to it in his youth. And that verse 28, the silence, sitting alone in silence, comes up again. And it says, for the Lord has laid it on him. That word laid, if you take a look at the Hebrew, is, um, it's, it's forceful. It's, God has laid this on you. There's a, there's a real positioning there of authority for this to happen. This isn't optional. We need to be doing this. You know, I said to the Blood Brothers guys, because some of us are really battling to find peace and quiet at home or at the office. I said, go and sit in your car. Go and, go, go and park your car in Kroger in the parking lot or wherever. Close your windows, put the air conditioner on, close your eyes, and just listen for God. It's so vital and imperative that we start getting this right, guys, that we're listening for him, for his leading and his directing in our lives. I think one of the best um, ways that we can tie this all together is if we take a look at John 10 verse 4. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him. If you go, I've been, I've been um, doing research on Judean shepherds and shepherding and so on, and sheep and all these things, and it's fascinating. And it's the platform God used to communicate much about himself. In fact, sheep are mentioned five, over 500 times in the Bible, more than any other animal. And researching this, if you or me had to go into that flock and start speaking, they would scatter and they would run to their shepherd. Our voice... A foreign voice to them actually scares them and they know who they need to run to. It's fascinating. And they're looking for him the whole time. They know that shepherd is their source of their deliverance, ongoingly, and it's not a thing of, I've led you in the direction once the right way, go for it. It's, I will direct them. He's walking before you and you are following him. It's a moment by moment seeking of him and he will make clear, your paths. He will direct your paths. If we take a look at um, the second word of verse 6 um, that I want to focus on is the direct in Hebrew. And uh, we can see that there's an element of straight or even, okay? But then it goes on to say figuratively To make right, pleasant, prosperous. What is it making right? The path that we're talking about, right? The next word to come. It's describing the next word that's to come. Or to causatively make right, pleasant, prosperous. Okay? Seem good. Be uprightly. This is more about God's ability to make anything seem overcomable or, out, or straight or to even it out it's more about the work that, that we are able to do through his enablement the lens that he gives us to look at that it doesn't matter how rocky or mountainous or windy or steep the road looks, with his lens, just because it's moment by moment, the next step, it doesn't matter if it's that high, it's clear to me I know where I need to walk. This causative instruction, that, that causatively comes up again, make right, figuratively to, to be Right, pleasant. This is more about us than what it is actually about the road. Even though there is an element of that, make your paths straight. The King James tra- translation, direct your paths, I believe is the more accurate translation. Because remember what we said, we think that narrow road, smooth and, and, and level sailing, easy, it's not. But do you know what? Do you know you're walking in truth. And when you know that you're walking in truth and that the Creator of the universe who has made you and sculpted you, if you realize who He is and how acutely aware of He He is of you and the path that He has set for that and you know you are on that path, it doesn't matter what's happening around you, you're at peace, even if there's turmoil around you because you have the trust and the hope in God and not of the road because He has led you to it. You know, if you're not getting this, Imagine I'm in the the Rockies or I don't know, the Grand Canyons. I haven't traveled too much mountainous places here, But I pull up in my Prius that's parked outside. Don't judge me. And there's three rocky roads to take and they seem insurmountable and, and so on. This is God changing my little Prius into a V12 jet-engined, Two-story suspension high mountain-eating jeep. Okay, this is what he's doing here. He's changing me to be able to, to to take the path. Switching gears, pun intended, is if I'm the jeep, right? Because I do have to take the path. Yes, through his enablement, and he he designs and shapes me for the road to take. And as I take that road. I'll get shaped and formed and, and so on. But if I'm the Jeep and the wheels come off and the body parts start falling apart and it's rusting and things just aren't looking good for this Jeep, let me tell you, the hope that you have, knowing that you're on the right path, is the thing that gets you through. There will always be deliverance with God. Where He leads, He feeds. Okay, And that's not to say it's easy, and It's not to say you won't be bumped and bruised and, and scathed etc but it will always be well with your soul and that's what he's interested in so we see that this path is being made clear to us and uh, more so by what what God is doing on us and not so much about the road, even though, again, I say there is an element to that. He can certainly bend and shape the road. It is also talking about that. But I believe in context and the overwhelming support of even the previous word and the causative and so on, if you bring it all together, I actually think the directing of your path is a more accurate statement. If we look at the next slide, that's the lay of the land of Jerusalem. See how rocky it is much of the story, I wish I had a laser pointer, but much of the story that happens in the Bible is on, you see the sea on your left-hand side, and you see the Sea of Galilee there on your right-hand side, and you see that, that mountainous area to the left of that, in between that, much of the story of the Bible happens on that rocky, on that rocky land. If we go to the next slide, um, this is the Temple Mount, uh, which was formerly the site of Solomon's temple scholars believe if you look at Mount uh, Moriah and uh, if you go to the next slide um, that's a first century AD um, model of the temple mountain you can take a look uh, and you would have seen in the previous picture but even here you can take a look at just how the layered the the terrain is this is very very um, rocky uneven ground that these guys Or used to. If we go to the next side, next slide, this is the road leading into Jerusalem. What was amazing about this picture, the description said I think it was taken in 1890. And I was like, 1890? There weren't cameras back then. I went and I Googled that the first um, picture, I think, was taken in 1802. That's right, people, the selfie has been going for over 200 years already. Okay? And this is the road leading into Jerusalem from the north. This is the path that we're going to dig into. This is a typical path, because the word path that we're going to be looking at um, denotes a traveling together, um, a caravan path, journeying, a highway. And in those days in those times, you didn't travel on a road together, uh, on your own. You traveled with other people. So if you take into context... The rocky and, and all that we've seen, this is a relatively straight level road in Judean context, in the eyes that Solomon would have been looking with. If we go to the next slide, this is a typical road within a city. And if you take a look at those walls, you can see how up and down they are. The next slide is in the engedi Desert. Desert. Um, this is not a place you want your child to lose his bouncing ball, people. Uh, this is up and down in really, really rough terrain. And the next slide is, uh, we actually see this in Getty is actually where Saul chased David. David was hiding there. So this is the type of terrain he would have been hiding in. So when you start looking at these pictures in that clear level path, right? because these are roads that they would have traveled on, and you take a look at what their actual highways were and so on, it starts bringing to life the eyes that we need to start looking through with, in the Judean sense and not so much our Western eyes because we think straight, smooth, tarred road with Chick-fil-A's on the side and the road's made for us, baby. You know. And you think about yourself and the journeys for you. God's saying, do it with others. Do it with me first and foremost and then put other good people in your life. The very word itself is denoting that. Slide uh, 22, as we wrap up, we see that, uh, as we look at Galatians, that, uh, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourself or you may also be tempted. Drew, in his sermon last week, and maybe let me quickly touch on that. If you don't know, Drew does two separate sermons. His first sermon is different from his second sermon. If you were here in, first, in the first sermon, do yourself a favor, go online and listen to his second service sermon. And if you were in the second one, go and listen to his first one. Unbelievable. Just a very talented and gifted speaker and just truth. And it was just so rich. But he mentioned the friendship. He mentioned the, the stillness. And uh, there's just so much that is lined up here. But that friend, make sure that it's a godly, spiritually inclined person. Us men are especially bad at this with our pride because we want someone who's next to us, who's either at our level or lower, that we don't have to be held accountable. It's very difficult asking somebody else who you going to, really challenge you that's a difficult thing and it's a difficult thing really climbing into that relationship and and having that vulnerability and trusting yourself to that person but it is so valuable and you know if you look at six verse two it says carry each other's burdens in this way you will fulfill the law of christ that is how god has designed it Not for us to walk through this life by ourselves, but with Him and with each other is fulfilling the law of Christ. And that carrying burdens, the very first sentence before that is sins. It's sharing your sins with each other that someone can help carry your burdens. And if you are not very good at this, and we tend not to be very good at this, if you find it difficult to love someone outside of your own home, to love people in this church, what I mean by love is you're not fond of them. Ha, ah, nice seeing you this Sunday. Really applying yourselves to people's lives. And it gets down and dirty and it's messy and we don't like it because our own lives are messy. And who needs more more troubles, right? If we're not good at this... I want to propose that the lens that we look out of is our lens, the worldly lens, and it's not the lens that God would have you look out of. But let me tell you something. You start walking closer with God. I've seen this in myself. I've seen this in others. There's no choice in the matter. You are compelled to start loving people. It's not something you even decide to start doing. It starts happening. It's unbelievable. John Stott says, Our love grows soft if it is not strengthened by truth. And our truth grows hard if it is not softened by love. Very, very profound. The three verse three simply means don't be haughty. (laughs) Don't don't be full of yourself. And then six verse four. When you walk closely with God, you will rely on him to direct the life you need to live. And you will not be needing the world's affirmation and validation of the things you set out to accomplish by comparing yourself to them you will become more secure and assured of your purpose and by default who you are because you hold responsible the account of your walk to an audience of one no, one, no one else. If you start looking to the world for their affirmation and for your journey, they cannot know of your journey and your purpose that God has given you. It can't happen. And I think this is where so many insecurities in, the, in people come from and, and, and so on. If we look at the last slide, and you see how this, this first shepherd is watching over the sheep. And it very much depicts God's relationship with us, always watching over us. And then you see in the background, and this, is, this isn't a dramatized picture. This was a photographer in the En really capturing this. You'll see another sheep that went missing, and the other guy's carrying him back. That's God, guys. This is how he leads that watching over of you, but you can only know where you need to go and how you need to be kept safe if you're looking at him the whole time. And I want to encourage you to start looking at him, to start looking through the lens and the paradigm of truly knowing who he is and understanding who you are in him. You have to have a relationship with him, and that takes applying yourself Daily, in and out, day in and out, ongoingly reading your scripture and bring it to life. Try and really understand what's happening there. So often we read these words and we go, I don't understand it. But like, dig into it, try and find out what was happening in that day and age. Because if you start, it starts becoming easier to relate to the words of the Bible, if you understand the things of the Bible, the, the, the context it was written in. And Wednesday night, we really go in the Wednesday night life group study. I really want to encourage you to, to attend that because not only... Are we going through the Bible in that way? We're teaching each other how to do that. What tools do you use to do that? And so on, they're so accessible. As we close, the implication of seeking Him is that not only will He make your path clear, will He direct it, He will also make who you are and what you are clear. And in that, you will find your value. As he directs you moment by moment, you will have a security and a surety of who you are because you know your purpose. And it doesn't matter where life leads you, if you're being led and directed by him because you're intimately aware of each other, you will step out in surety and in truth and there will be a confidence about you. You will find rest. You will find peace. You will find a wholeness that so many of our souls long for. And we're always conflicted and confused and frustrated because the very things that God has put in our lives to, to draw us into him, if we're looking at, it, at those things and we're looking at him through our eyes, through the world's eyes, will cause to frustrate us. The very things God has put in place to make us more like him will actually frustrate us if you don't have that close relationship with him. So it's imperative to be directed by him, regardless of how tough and rough the road is, because you'll be walking in truth, you'll be directed by the good and the great shepherd, and you'll be on the clear path. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I thank you for your word. It's life-giving, and it's, it's difficult. It's, it's difficult to really live this out, Lord. But if we continue pressing into you, our hope is in you. We can never be disappointed by you. The circumstances around life might change, but you, you never change. So if we focus on you, the things of our life, The the things that are fallible and transient in this life don't matter because the walk that we're walking is an eternal one. And it starts now. Help us to be of service to you, Lord God. Help us to know how living a life for you and from you and the very gift of salvation is not just a gift for the next life and, and our salvation, and we thank you and we love you for that, but it is so vital to just the contentment and the joy and the purpose we live in this life. It is so necessary in the here and the now. We pray this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.